Hello and welcome to It Starts With Beer. I'm your host, Will Sis, and on this episode we meet Julia Hers. Now, Julia has had an amazing career and a very strange year. Well, haven't we all, but, you know, after more than 10 years as the program director of the Brewers Association, a national trade organization that's seen a meteoric rise in breweries in the country, she was laid off in June. And I've heard her speak about the state of beer at conferences, and I've enjoyed and continue to use the book that she co-authored with Gwen Conley called Beer Pairing, but this was the first time that I really got a chance to speak with her, and I'm really glad that I did. Uh, she talks about her past, and she talks about her future, which, um, you know, I'm so happy to be able to bring to you if you haven't heard about the things that she has planned. I'm also proud to announce that It Starts With Beer is a member of the Hopped Up Network. So more on that after the interview at the after party. But first, it's guest Julia Hers. Let's listen in. Okay, Julia, thank you so much for, you know, talking to me. Um, you know, you've really been known as someone who, you know, can, can promote craft beer, explain beer, demonstrate beer pairings so well. I was wondering, can you tell me a little bit about what in your background kind of prepared you for that? Sure. And hi, Will and everyone listening. I love getting to talk about this topic. Um, and in our world, it's a fair question of what helped you get so interested in something that you invested your professional time behind it. My answer on the beer pairing and beer question is tied back to my childhood and influence from uh, my dad, who's definitely a foodie. And he basically always encouraged me to, you know, try new things that I didn't necessarily want to taste. But yet, if I go back earlier, he was already tapping into something I was predisposed to, where sensory-wise, when I was super little, um, I had a soap collection. Uh, I had a uh, kind of a first aid kit, and I'd always add to it and save my allowance money and, and buy different um, first aid ointments and whatnot. And I found myself always smelling everything in those two collections and being proud to pull out the, the ritual of pulling out the boxes and, and getting um, people, not just myself, to experience that with me and the differentiation of what was going on in each vial or, or bar of soap. And so I think I was always predisposed to want to explore the, um, the, the flavor side of the world. And uh, that set me up for, you know, great exploration, I guess. So I'm picturing like a, what, third grade Julia saying, um, hey, uh, come over here and smell this. I mean, were, were you a popular kid or? It, you know, it's funny. You're so, Will, you're funny. I didn't necessarily go all out to my uh, broader network with it. It was more my internal team. Smart. I I'm <laughs> grapes and literally pulling them out and they tasted like little grape ice cubes to me and I loved the crunch. Mm. It was like the the texture of chewing on a um uh, a chickpea yep. but yet it was 
frozen. And my mom looked at me like I had three heads. She's like, <laughs> we're not eating these. I don't want them in the freezer anymore. The house needs order, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I love what they taste like. And it was just the texture change. And I've always been into mouthfeel sure. when it comes to the component of flavor. And so, you know, and learning about flavor and how that's a fusion of three, three, three things, a triangle of aromatic compounds, basic taste, and mouthfeel, I was really always attracted to the mouthfeel element as much as the aroma element. And then later I learned about the basic taste of sweet, salty, sour, bitter, umami, and, uh, you know, that side of things. So, you know, I, I really um, met you and got to know you from your role as the craft beer program director of the Brewers Association. I um, had a chance uh, first to go on a beer bloggers conference in Boston uh, in 2013, I think. And I, I got to thank you for uh, giving me one of the best beer opportunities I've ever had, which is to have a Utopias with uh, Jim Cook. And um, yeah, how did you uh, get involved um, with the Brewers Association? I know since June, you're not with them anymore, but how did that relationship uh, get started? Yeah, well, real quick to backtrack, the Beer Bloggers Conference that you're referring to that now is getting ready to happen November 5th and 6th as Beer Now, and I would encourage uh, anyone listening to, to go there because it's going to be free this year since it's virtual, that's done by a company called Zephyr Adventures. Um, mm. I, as the Brewers Association Craft Beer Program Director and representative of, of the BA and Craft Brewers, we did not organize that. I got it. I was simply uh, the the kickoff speaker for that event and have been for 10 years in a row because I love that event. And mm. so, you know, um, how I got involved in the Brewers Association and, um, you know, what I'm doing now are two very uh, big topics. Um, which way do you want me to go? Well, you know, I, I kind of see you as looking back at your time with the, the Brewers Association first, if that's okay. And then I'm absolutely uh, interested in, you know, what's next. Looking back, like when you first started with the Brewers Association, what was that experience like? And then, you know, um, now that you've gone through your time with them, you know, what, what really sticks out as some of the, the biggest accomplishments? Oh, I love that opportunity. So anyone listening, the Brewers Association is the national nonprofit trade group that represents the majority of breweries um, in many forms. They've been around since 1942, representing small brewers. Um, and then in 1978, Charlie Papazian um, started the American Home Brewers Association. Uh, the Association of Brewers evolved after that to represent the professional brewers in the United States. And then with Brewers Association America in the mix um, and multiple other things um, in 2005, uh, the Brewers Association was formed. I worked at the um, Association of Brewers in the late 90s through 2001 um, as uh, the sales manager. And then in 2007, when Ray Daniels was leaving to start the Cicerone program, uh, I stepped into his shoes as craft beer program director. And I was there even this year. I served more than six months this year. We're still in 2020, believe it or not. What a great year. This is a five-year year. Oh, my God. Please. I, I will say it since we're on a blog and it's okay. Hashtag fuck COVID. Right there you go. But we, uh, I, I, until the end of June 2020, um, I was the craft beer program director since 2007. And that role 
I found my way to it after five months of the Brewers Association looking to hire Ray Daniels' replacement, which is not mm. new. But I had already been in the um, space of uh, promoting an entire beverage category on a national level. Um, I was working uh, at Redstone Meadery and was promoting the beverage of mead or honey wine. Um, and I was doing it successfully. We were having, you know, uh, events and competitions. We were getting media coverage. And so that translated to what the Brewers Association was looking to do for professional brewers um, while Ray was there and when Ray left. And so when I got hired there um, in 2007, it was an incredible opportunity. Crack brewing segment at the time was $6 billion, uh, give or take, dollars in uh, sales annually. Um, and uh, was really not, craft beer was not initially ac accepted across the board and at least known. Um, but then in, in the years that I was there, you know, I helped get craft beer to $29 billion in sales. And we went from 1,450 breweries to 8,000 plus breweries. Um, so an incredible time. Accomplishments include um, publisher and the first, uh, you know, um, writer for craftbeer.com, along with a lot of support mm. from amazing teams, um, uh, helping to do things like advanced diversity in craft brewing. I personally um, rewrote the uh, marketing and advertising code uh, in 2017 that the Brewers Association published. Uh, the update for which helped you know create a chilling effect i think in beer labeling to uh lessen i won't say remove but lessen derogatory demeaning um language imagery and um and the like when it came to beer marketing um all for that yeah go i mean you know yeah so i don't want to it's hard to summarize in a career of, of 16 and a half years at a national association what my favorite accomplishments are um, but I really do feel that I was there helping grow craft beer sales, um, create awareness for the beverage of beer and appreciation on a broad scale, and then also helping bring new people to beer that didn't felt, feel invited to the party um, in the beginning because of the way traditionally beer was marketed. Well, that certainly is something that people have been talking about a lot recently that you were on more on the forefront of, which is this concept of diversity in craft beer. Um, some of the guests uh, that I'm going to be talking to are the um, the authors of uh, Beer and Racism. And so, you know, we're going to really kind of be talking about that uh, element soon. But what did you see over the, say, 10 years in terms of uh, welcoming for women and minorities specifically? And where do you think that's headed? Right. And I think it's good to put women and minorities and let's also add, you know, um, kind of uh, disability groups into the mix as well. And there's a lot of uh, opportunity and need for growth in all three of those areas. I think the area that has the biggest traction long term, if you're looking at the past 10 years, is women in beer. Um, Pink Boots Society really helped put things on the map and what Terry Ferendorf has done and, and many um premier lady women brewers with Laura Ulrich of Stone right now as the front and president. You know, women in beer got its own group. And I think that's what started to get things on the map more where women were comfortable to start to say, we have a collective powwow. We want to talk together as a group and talk about what attracts us to beer and what turns us off to beer too. 
And then with George Floyd and everything we've all seen and witnessed terribly in 2020, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement has been around for years, um, but many people, especially white, have not engaged with Black Lives Matters. And that's a, that's a shame and a, and, and a missed opportunity that is intrinsic and important to the growth of our, our nation and our culture. And so what I'm seeing now is is really great. You know, you mentioned that book, Fear and Racism, um, or Craft Beer Culture, um, and, and, and there's so many people, Carla White, there's all these folk that have put their names behind uh, what they want to do in beer, and they are now needing to unfortunately put their race or, um, you know, uh, diverse class at the forefront instead of just doing what they do, because there otherwise might not be as many opportunities for these groups. And so what I'm seeing in, in the future happening is hopefully more of an even playing field. I, I might be idealistic, but I feel the culture is there and the climate's open to it. Um, but the people that are getting discriminated against, folks that are having challenges, women, minorities, and diverse classes, um, they're the ones that are going to have to, and, and I'm one of them, we have to bring people along. And unless we speak our truth and how we feel we've been, to, you know, in these challenged um, environments, then the world isn't going to change because the world previously wasn't necessarily seeing where the roadblocks existed in the first place. Well, a combination of time, um, familiarity, uh, respect uh, from from the knowledge that that anyone, no matter if they're uh, a minority or a woman uh, speaking about beer, has kind of an effect over time, at least I think, uh, in which there, there's more acceptance. It, it doesn't, you know, turn on a dime. What was your experience when you first started being particularly vocal about um, talking about um, beer and representing beer? Did you run up against a ceiling? Did you run, run up against uh, discrimination? No, but I'll say I ran up against not enough, um, I think, wind in the sails of the, of the doors that I was trying to open. Um, it took and needed to have the cultural moments instead, like the Me Too movement, which happened after, you know, I was getting involved in the in the discussion um, in 2016, November 2016, for example. I wrote, you know, as a staffer at the Brewers Association, publicly spoke out the very first time um, uh, on the fact that, you know, diversity needed to increase in beer, and I wrote about my roadblocks. I wrote about how I felt stale talking on the topic and being tapped by media, beer lovers, um, and and brewery members to um, to you know speak to the topic. And I said I felt stale. I felt like enough progress. And you know the name of my article in New Brewer Magazine, and then also republished on on BrewersAssociation.org was you know embracing diversity in the beer biz. And it really, I felt, showed the stats of what I had seen, at least in terms of women in beer, and talked about how, you know, um, the, the, the past um, advertising and approach was, you know, casting a shadow still on the beverage of beer today. And Will, you're exactly right, where if enough time elapses and enough reinforcement happens, that's when you really get change. Change doesn't happen overnight. Um, so if anything, the answer to your question is, is I felt like I opened up the door. I definitely got people coming out to me, but not as in much of a broad way as I would have expected. I mean, social media certainly plays a role in this as well. Having more uh, women and more minorities being um, uh, visual uh, related to beer has uh, got to have some sort of you know positive effect. But of course, there's there's just with that there's backlash. Um, people who don't want the status quo to change. 
Um, maybe they're more uh, closeted about it. They, they don't want to be so vocal. But, you know, just speaking from someone who s- has seen some change and as someone who is in the you know majority, just your stereotypical uh, bearded white guy, um, you know, I know that, that, that letting go of power is difficult. Um, people maybe subconsciously uh, are saying, um, you know, I, I don't want to share. And uh, and that's hard. Um, that that's something that 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 I and others you know need to get over. <laughs> and um, you know, hopefully, I know I know the work that you've done has made a big difference in that in that regard. Yeah, it's great to hear. I mean, and we're all in that space of admitting your privilege, right? Yeah. And I mean, yet I can't speak to to, to male white privilege because I don't possess that. Um, but yet also progress isn't grown from uh, reverse discrimination, right? And so I do see a lot on social media of shaming um, and calling out in an angry way that definitely is warranted based on the injustice and the, you know, systemic discrimination that exists. But yet progress is made when you find common ground. And so I think that what I would like to, you know, continue to see is those that can be the voice for truth that are unfortunately in the space of, um, you know, feeling um, not on an equitable playing ground and, and, and doing so in a way that they can get those to the table um, that actually uh, is heard. And often when uh, the conversation's happening these days, you know, things are tuned out. Um, and that's unfortunate because everything that's being shared is worthy of being heard, um, but it's not necessarily going to be a, a slam dunk in that arena. And so it's, um, I don't know, it's trying times to get your message out there, say what solutions you suggest, but all at the same time, have it be palatable enough um, to create change instead of shutting people out. Absolutely. There, there's room for, for a lot of dialogue and there's got to be room for people who are going to take chances. And, um, you know, breweries make mistakes all the time. I think some of them honest. Uh, you know, uh, if I see one more, you know, dirty blonde um, beer and it's got, you know, buxom um, um, babe on it, you know, it, it, that seems like a relic of the past. Uh, and, and, that, that, and that's a good thing, that it's a relic of the past. But every once in a while, you see a brewery honestly kind of slip up in that regard. Or forget to realize that that uh, there there are more people out there that can enjoy their um, enjoy their beer than just the ones that, that they're friends with. Um, I know in Connecticut there's a group uh, called the Craft Crew, um, and these are um, black and Hispanic men who are actively going out and trying to get um, people of color into craft beer. And so sometimes it's you know coming from that angle as well, which is exciting to see. Yeah. Great. Can you tell me a little bit about Hertz Muses Enterprises and and what's next uh, for you? Sure. You must have seen my signature because uh, my website's not published yet. Oh, I'm I'm deep into the LinkedIn. I'm uh, you know I'm looking looking all over the place. So yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to find out. I think the world wants to know. You know what's what's Julia gonna do next? Yeah, I mean, so um, being surprised by COVID, not anticipating my 2020 year to have my position be. Uh, um, eliminated from my my career job. Um, I didn't really have a plan B, um, except to say that I have always been speaking um, as hers muses on my social media channels, and the fact that I'm interested in multiple enterprises. You know, I'm interested in small business. I am interested in still supporting national associations that represent a cause. You know, 
uh, or um, movement that, that really speaks to me. And I'm also interested in helping beverage and brewery companies. So that's what Hers Muses will be all about. And the website will be published in November. Um, it's been a definite interesting exercise to try to rebrand yourself when you um, are starting from scratch in terms of how to verbalize um, who I want to work for. And I do think that anyone and many of your listeners are, are probably also in this space where they're not employed by one dedicated individual or company. Um, they dabble in, um, you know, multiple ways to put their living together. Um, and mm. Basically, you know, being a consultant is one version of that. So my consultancy will consist of um, consulting to those um, groups that I mentioned, uh, you know, associations, um, beverage and business companies um, and individuals that want to get more top of mind awareness. I will also be engaging in um, paid speaking as a more uh, focused venue, which I always enjoyed and embraced. Um, and then also uh, influencing on the side of teaching um, them, teaching people how to take their brand and influence their followers in a way that's positive and creates loyalty and or attaching, you know, when it's appropriate, my brand to those those brands that move me and maybe doing doing that for them. And what a time to be jumping into that, because, you know, even though COVID has thrown businesses for a loop, uh, nonprofits, uh, for profits, breweries, um, uh distributors, uh, you know, at least in my little corner of the world, we're still seeing breweries opening up almost every month. Uh, they, they, they might be doing it, you know, with, with a little bit more financial caution, but it certainly is a time when people still want to uh, grow and get their message out there. What's your pitch to, to say, an organization that wants uh, to work with you? Well, it's a great question, and maybe we can just simplify it, take it down to breweries, because I'm talking to multiple breweries right now at all different phases um, in their development or, or business model. You know, some brand new, some established but want to grow, um, some have grown but want to be national. I mean, there's a lot of breweries right now that are um, to, uh, you know, drill down on their strategic thinking and, and maybe add the last scenario of some are just trying to survive that I'm talking to. There's really not one way that I, I'm talking to any one business. It depends on their goals. Um, but it's the it's the classic plea to make sure that breweries don't have, you know, the, the blind spots or the Jahari window blinders on where, you know, be aware of where your greatest potential is. And I think um, pay attention to where your business can take you um, that already has demand instead of right, you know, trying to create that demand, which is a longer term play, certainly a noble exercise to do that. But if you've got in front of you, you know, one of your eight beer lineup that could be your number one hit and go regional or national, but yet you want to still, you know, be engaging as a, as a 5, 10, 15 brewery model brewery, that's a question you have to ask yourself, of, you know, is it worth it? It's going to take a lot more time and effort than having one workhorse beer pay the bills that then allows you that halo effect of, um, you know, time to play in the other arenas that you think will also be successful. So it, I think it just depends on the individual goals of each uh, each business right now. And so it's a matter of you kind of getting to know what their values are, finding out, um, you know, what their goals are, and then kind of melding it in. Because it, it really, it seems to be that everything is just changing at such a rapid uh, pace that the rules that might have applied to a new brewery five years ago um, are certainly not thrown out the window. You, you take the best successes, success stories of the past and apply it to now. 
but it sounds like the rules are changing. How do you stay abreast to all the the, the changes that, so that you can, you know, be a driver to what's going to happen in the future. Right. Well, I'm personally engaged in that space where in the last two months, because I've been laid off um, and had the time and needed to, you know, reinvent myself. I created time for vision questing, I call it. And um, I've driven more than 3000 miles, been in more than 10 states, um, been in more than, you know, 10 plus, maybe 15 plus breweries and add some wineries and distilleries into the mix too. And I've camped in um, a COVID cautious way in my pop-up camper. Um, and I've slept in brewery parking lots for days on end and watched the customers coming and going. And I've, you know, I, I've been at a winery and, and, and watched how they are, you know, packaging and selling um, with not as many hours for that one establishment to be open based on the new laws of the land. And so that's how I'm doing it, um, where I am used to speaking on behalf of craft brewers and representing their interests on a national level and traveling, you know, month in and month out to different markets because of conferences and, and travel. Um, that hasn't stopped for me. And if anything, it's gone into a deeper space where I am now individually at the places of business instead of just a, you know, a conference venue um, where I'm trying to just maybe, you know, zip into a brewery or two and do a marketplace visit and, and make sure I get to a, a liquor store or a supermarket. I'm really ingrained in the actual footprint of those um, businesses and uh, watching the comings and goings is like nothing else that can teach you and talking to the customers that come in and go come and go and asking them what attracts you to this brewery why are you here what interests you what don't you like what would you tell others why would you tell them to come here why would you tell them not to come here what confuses you all of that is incredible intel that most brewery owners I don't think are, are, are busy getting um, and if they did take the time to, you know, look at the problems that they have to face, look at the possibilities um, from their customer base that the customers tell them, um, they might get more ground and go further faster. Your brewery vision quest, um, I, I see a book in that for sure. Uh, I've appreciated the, the Instagram um, updates along the way. Uh, I know you don't have a lot of time, but uh, during this vision quest, can you tell me uh, an anecdote or something about uh, something you experienced that was particularly memorable? Oh, I love it. You know, so vision questing is, is nothing new, but I've kind of been using it as a modern phrase where, you know, you're all of a sudden given time and, and yeah, you got to get the bills paid as quickly as possible. But with the interruption after 16 and a half years, Will, giving my every fiber and being to the National Association to to advance craft brewers with success, frankly, to back it. Um, I needed to allow myself not only time to, uh, you know, find new work um, and figure out what I wanted that work to be, but also to give my mind the space to do that. And so strategic thinking is something that I think is a, a really powerful uh, asset in, in how we approach our world. And the best way to do that is, is driving time, you know, being on your own schedule and outside of your own family environment. And making sure that um, you know you get that time, and I can tell you that many thoughts have percolated up while I've been driving, um, and many fun, fun, fun experiences have happened on my own schedule, my own time, my own COVID cautious way, where I had my own restroom, my own kitchen, I could sleep wherever I was as long as I had permission to sleep on that land, in that farm field, um, at that RV park. I've even slept in a truck stop, slept in family, you know, front yards and backyards, and in front of their houses. So like. Basically, what I, you know, anecdotally, I learned, despite the um, the handcuffs of COVID and all of us being on a spectrum of caution for what is going to uh, keep us safe, I can still have freedom. 
And so I think that's what the travel has given me with my camper. And I didn't realize that was sitting there the whole time as long as I just got on the road and gave myself the time. Life gave you a a, a kick and uh, you, you kind of went with it. And it's it's exciting. And I look forward to, to, to finding out, you know, what happens. Uh, I truly appreciate your time. I know that, you know, you've, you've been, you know, had such an impact on me over these last uh, 15 years that I've been um, involved in beer uh, in one way or another. So it was a real pleasure to be able to talk to you. Uh, Will, you're sweet. And I follow you right back. And I've enjoyed watching your journey. I think you're giving it you know, your, uh, your spin and, and your interest in educating your followers. So we should kind of all pay attention to what you're doing too. And I think that's important. Um, and so thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll also say that, you know, it's important that we each kind of pay attention to these crazy times. And as, as long as our standards are being met, we're staying healthy, being grateful for what we do have that hopefully isn't being taken away from us. Or even it, and when it is taken away from us, you know, loss, death, craziness, finances. Uh, my family just experienced, you know, uh, the constant threat of fires two and a half miles away from my house. Like, there's a lot going on, but we just all have to know that as long as we um, are pleased with how we handled what's being thrown at us um, and made the best of it, then then I think that's a good standard to put in place. So I wish each. Um, of your listeners and you will the, the best and I look forward to keeping in touch over the years my thanks to Julia hers you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at hers muses that's h-e-r-z m-u-s-e-s welcome to the after party pull up a dusty rug remnant have another beer. I'm drinking an Able Porter from Brassworks Brewing out of Waterbury, Connecticut. It's nearly black, um, very roasty, and as sweet as Grandma's smile. It's had additions of bourbon barrel oak. This bourbon oak barrel. And vanilla in there. So it is sweet. Perfect for dessert by itself or with something that would complement it. I'm thinking, mm, ah, go with apple pie. I know, you got the tart, you got the sweet together, but it really, I think it would work. I hope you liked the Julia Hers interview. She was very, very kind uh, to me. And she always has been, so um, happy to have had a chance to talk to her. I'm definitely going to be following her career, um, and I hope that she writes more books because that beer pairing book is well-researched and well-written. And, um, yeah, if she wants to talk about her um, you know, vision uh, quest in breweries, camping, I want to read that for sure. All is well here. My daughter recently turned eight months old. She's crawling all over the place. She's climbing everything. She thinks she can stand. She cannot stand. She is top-heavy currently with the head thing. I am also blessed with a sizable noggin. So yeah, she's going to take her time walking, but uh, she's been great. 
I'd recently joined what's called the Hopped Up Network. This is just basically a bunch of beer podcasts that are kind of under one umbrella. So we want to give shout outs to one another. So I'll give a shout outs to uh, Three Beers In, uh, Al Gatulo's Craft Beer Cast, and Beer and Nonsense. Those are three beer podcasts you are allowed to listen to only after you listen to It Starts With Beer, which is your favorite podcast. I don't know if you knew that, but it is. So the next episode, probably, um, will be with sociologist Nathaniel Chapman. I've had some back and forths with this um, author and his co-author in terms of trying to get mutual time together. And it looks like, fingers crossed, uh, we're going to meet next week. So he's the co-author of Beer and Racism, a sociology text. And uh, I read it, and so did co-host Jamal Robinson of New England Brewing Company. So I'm really excited, again, to bring on a co-host to just have a chat, just talk, talk about beer, talk about racism, talk about why beer is so white, you know, delve a little deeper. So uh, thanks a lot for your time. I'm so glad that you are listening. Please, uh, if you aren't following or subscribing on your listening service of choice, please do so. I try to put out an episode about once a week. Yeah. Until next time, sip well. One, two, three, four.